centuries-old architecture, jagged mountain peaks, the sky-blue Mediterranean, wine, pizza, gelato, cheese. What's not to love about Italy? We can only think of one thing, the Italian Revenue Agency. This very aggressive tax authority likes things just so. And if you're a transfer pricing executive presenting questionable arm's length transactions, well, let's just say when you touch down in Italy, it will be the tax authorities, not the Renaissance churches or the Alps or the sea that will be the first to greet you. Hello, everyone. It's Matthew DeMello, your host of The Fiona Show, and we're back with another fascinating episode. We're talking, of course, about Italy, a country that's as interesting as it is complicated, and the transfer pricing regulations and traditions pretty much follow suit. With us today, we have Cross-Border Solutions' own Valeria Marino, our transfer pricing specialist who knows everything there is to know about transfer pricing in Italy, and today she's going to share her knowledge with you. Thank you so much for being here, Valeria. One quick note before we get started, you can earn CPE credits for listening to this very educated educational podcast we are planting three cpe code words in the show email all three words to the fiona show all one word at xbs.ai and we'll send out your certificate how easy is that and before we jump in let's take a look at transfer pricing in the news have noticed a growing momentum towards countries rolling out digital services taxes, which is why it came as a surprise when the Czech Republic recently decided to pull back on its own. Last year, the country had proposed a 7% digital tax, one of the highest DSTs we've seen, and had planned to roll it out this year. But now the Czech government wants to wait for an international agreement, which it hopes to see next year. Ha! Ha! That's good. That's good. Seriously, though, the move is unexpected. I mean, other EU countries aren't so generous. Take the UK, for example. And yes, until the end of this year, we are still considering it part of the EU. Even the coronavirus pandemic hasn't stopped it from launching a 2% tax at the beginning of April, while France will wait until the end of 2020 to collect on the DST. It hasn't repealed the 3% tax. As for the Czech Republic, the DST's delayed launch is only part of the story. The government also decided to lower the tax from 7% to 5%. Now, wouldn't it be nice? if there was a growing international momentum towards that. Is the HMRC getting soft? That's what the Tax Justice Network seems to think. According to the NGO, the UK failed to collect... 2.5 billion pounds a year since 2016 because it didn't enact a tax transparency law to make country-by-country reports public. This week, the UK Treasury told Parliament that it changed its mind about publishing the reports nationally and it's blocking the OECD from publishing the information internationally. The Tax Justice Network went so far as to imply that the UK is becoming, quote, regressing is the word they used into a quote tax haven they calculated that had the uk enacted the law it could have saved at least 10 billion pounds lost to tax havens since 2016 and they couldn't help but point out that the lost money could have benefited the department of health and social care during covid19 but (laughs) who's pointing fingers is argentina getting organized 
It sure looks that way. The country had transfer pricing provisions in notes and resolutions all over the place. What were you thinking, Argentina? And it's finally brought them together under one written umbrella. Of course, we can only list a few provisions here, so we'll give you some of our favorites. First, the tested party will be the domestic party, except in the case of the profit split method. Then both parties are subject to testing. Next, if there was confusion before about how to build the inter quartile range, now you'll have specific instructions. Are you using non-traditional transfer pricing methods to identify the arm's length range, for example, the discounted cash flow method? You'll need to justify why. And here's one more favorite. Loans must be reasonable, as in the lender can afford to lend and the borrower has the means to pay back. Kind of a no-brainer, don't you think? Hi, I'm Matthew DeMello, and you may know me as the host of the Fiona Show Cross-Border Solutions Weekly Transfer Pricing Podcast. And while I love to discuss transfer pricing, this podcast isn't the only place you can hear me doing it. Cross-Border Solutions recently relaunched Transfer Pricing University, a live webinar series where you can learn about modern-day transfer pricing, everything from methodologies to comparables to preparing documentation to meet country-specific regulations. Good stuff, I know. Chief Economist Mimi Song leads the sessions. I just ask the occasional obvious question. Since our program is NASBA certified, you can earn one CPE credit for joining each session. Pretty sweet. So what are you waiting for? Join us for Transfer Pricing University every Tuesday and Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern. Classes are free, so now you really have no reason to miss it. Sign up at xbs.ai tpu. Uh, Valeria, thanks so much for joining us once again, just for questions that we love to ask our country-specific guests and experts. What changes have you observed in transfer pricing over the years since you first began in this industry? A lot of changes, very different, and especially now, you know, from... So I, I joined this transfer pricing, you know, I started doing transfer pricing um, back in 2000. Which uh, I started in Italy, and transfer pricing was very, very um, new. So actually, regulation in Italy was from 2010. But uh, um, you know, um, I've seen during the these 10 years a very big change, especially with BEPS at Action 13. You know, and also most of the country are developing new strategies and new transfer pricing rule. Um, the TP landscape, I always say that is in continuous move so it never never stop right right, so right always need to be up to speed and what mistakes do you think multinationals make again and again most of the time is just not doing the transfer pricing documentation um because sometimes they think that it's not worth it or you don't need to describe the you know to disclosure information uh, there's this whole way of thinking that uh disclosure of information is there, but at the end of the day now there's a kind of an obligation of doing it. So what I've seen the most of the mistakes are um, you know, not doing the documentation and not doing it properly. Right, right. And you're one of our most hands-on experts with our clients. What are the kinds of questions that you get from clients today about transfer pricing? <laughs> the most common is how to address their uh, documentation in order to be compliant. 
because they feel that now they have to they have to deal with a lot of um, changes and uh, with uh, the dif differences within countries. So one of the most uh, the question that we'll see more often is uh, how to make the documentation. Italy is a member of the OECD. Uh, a few of our clients and, and a few, more than a few of our listeners should be familiar with the Italian Revenue Agency, the, the tax authority within the country, perhaps not in a very friendly context. But um, can you summarize the degree to which Italy follows OECD guidelines? So Italy follows the OECD. It's a member of the OECD and the Italian tax authority, or how we call it, Agenzia delle Entrate, in, in Italy, uh, they generally follow the guidelines. In fact, um, the Italian regulation make a specific reference to the OECD guidelines. So even though Italy has specific documentation, so the format of the documentation is very strict and needs to be respected in order to be compliant. But I would say that the selection of the method, the, the approach is the OECD one. And, and what are the documentation requirements in Italy? A multinational company in Italy, so each entity that has, you know, is part of a group and perform intercompany transaction during the fiscal year, needs uh, to prepare transfer pricing documentation. The documentation is um, is not a requirement, but if you want to have a penalty protection, you need to prepare contemporaneous transfer pricing documentation, and this needs to be in line with Italian regulation. TP in Italy started in 2010. Most of the company were, you know, um, willing to prepare the documentation because they can get penalty protection, which is, um, I mean, it's a very good deal considering that most of the audit recently are focusing on transfer pricing. So, and the penalties in Italy are very, very high. So being assured that if you get audited at the end of the day, you're not getting penalties, that's, that's very good. After 2010, they just made a new reference into the regulation, uh, referencing you know, the 2017 data OECD guideline, which has been updated based on BEPS. Even though there is no specific reference to BEPS in Italian regulation. The Italian tax authority follows BEPS and has been the action 13 has been applied especially for what is referring to um, country by country regulation. Um, one thing that we need to say is the first fiscal year uh, that was subject to uh, country by country was in 2015. They are following exactly the threshold the, the, they are also they following the threshold for BEPS, the penalties for not submitting or uh, for providing inaccurate information into the C by C are up to uh, 50,000 euros. So one thing we were saying is that in Italy, which is a very high risk country for credit audit, if you decide to opt for the penalty protection regime, Every year you need to submit documentation and the documentation needs to be in line with Italian regulation and needs to be in Italian. If I can just take an interruption very, very quickly to ask Fiona in that case. Fiona, what can you tell us about documentation requirements in Italy? It's all about formatting, Matt. Italy is very particular about the ordering and formatting of report information. 
Even if you include all of the required information, your study can be rejected if it's not formatted the right way. Has that been your experience, Valeria? Yeah, absolutely, yes. The documentation needs to be provided using the, to the tax authority and needs to be uh, in line with the uh, requirements, the Italian requirements, which are very strict and are related to formatting, yes. Most of our clients, they are like, often ask a lot of questions of how the report looks, sometimes for them it looks odd. You know, because the, that's the way that um, the report needs to be in Italy. So it has a five chapter. Each chapter has its own um, content and needs to be respected. Otherwise, the report um, can be rejected. And, and that goes for language, too. If you don't have it in Italian, it can be rejected. That's right. Of course, yes, and uh, some companies, especially the like the one that they don't have a quarter in Italy, so like uh, they are English speaker and they have only some subs in Italy. I would say that uh, they prepare the documentation in English and then the documentation needs to be translated in Italian because if you present the documentation in English, that um, can be rejected or will be rejected. Actually, the only document that can be presented in English is the master file. Mm. And I'll interrupt right here with our first CPE code word for our listeners. And that word is riveting, as in the Fiona show is always riveting. On that note, Valeria, does Italy express preferences in terms of transfer pricing methodology? So my answer is no. They don't have express preferences, especially there is no um, like there's no preference of from you know traditional transactional method over profit methods um i would say that if you present a cup method so cup is uh, one of the often preferred method from all the tax authorities especially if you have an internal cup because you know it's a true representation of what is an arm's length price but i would say for all the other methods uh, in general italian tax authorities more is very willing to do tnmm so, but also the other methods are accepted as long as the analysis is consistent, mm. you know, with the story that you're telling. So, the analysis needs to be appropriate. Um, we have noticed a lot of changes into, you know, the auditors and Italian tax authority now is very well prepared in Italy. So, uh, we have seen them challenging the use of a method of, um, over another one. Um, so it's very important to be consistent. And the story that we're telling while we are analyzing, you know, the function is also reflected into the economic analysis. It was in 2018 uh, that Italy declared that no method is preferred. Uh, before that, was there a, a preference more for cup or resale price? And does that have any bearing on, on how they look at things after that 2018 announcement? No, I think that was... Um... That, that was before 2018, so it was very long time ago. I think there was there is a the decree or a circular we call it circolare in Italy um, from the 80 that uh, had this hierarchy in the methods. Or since 2010, uh, there's no no method needs to be prepared. So. And I know there's been chatter in the finance media, at least, that while now there is no official preference anymore, uh, Italian tax authorities are still more likely to challenge you on methodology, specifically whether your methodology is profit-based. 
Is that right? Um, I have a lot of experience also with audit in Italy because my career in transfer pricing start, uh, started also like um, doing transfer pricing controversy. Uh, I am a lawyer. So this is what I did uh, before joining the, you know, the U.S. And no, um, I mean, I can say that I have seen uh, the Italian tax authorities and the, you know, the tax police also, because most of the time the auditors started by the tax police in Italy, um, challenging the methods applied, but they, it really depends. And that they are, the, the challenge of always uh, makes, um, you know, kind of sense. But they, I, I never seen I never seen someone arguing like you didn't apply this method over the other one because we oh, we prefer a method. So I will say that if you one one challenge that you can have is in the application of the cap. So if it's possible to apply an internal cap, but you are not doing it. You need to demonstrate why. There's no 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 method is perfect. What about benchmarking in Italy? So in Italy, no, the regulation doesn't say anything about benchmarking. So there's no preference for local or regional benchmark. But I will say that the Italian tax authority often it was willing to accept more a benchmark based on Italian comps, if you like the tested party with Italy. So there is a kind of a preference for Italian comps, uh, but it's not in the regulation. It's mostly, uh, you know, best practice for the Italian. Right, right, right. So some challenges and very rigorous requirements, especially with uh, their relationship to OECD standards. But what is the overall risk of a transfer pricing audit in Italy? It's very high. Mm. We have seen that most of the audit of multinational company are based on transfer pricing. So most of the time, like one of the, um, it is it's a big challenge that all the multinational uh, based in Italy have because transfer pricing base is very, very high. Um, they focus on uh, very big companies, very big group, um, but also on medium company. As I was saying before, most of the time they challenge the methodology that is applied by the taxpayer because the People that perform the audit as now, it's very well prepared. So what they're doing is actually doing a very like a deep study of the documentation and try, you know, to challenge it. Mm. In which case, what kinds of transactions are often challenged? Most of the time, the, the easiest one to challenge, you know, the management fee or everything that is related to, to IP or the service transaction. Those are the, the, the very easy to challenge. And we also understand that the tax authorities often challenge permanent establishments. Yeah, PE is uh, one of the big risks that they are start that, that you can have in Italy. Have a lot of cases. One of the biggest one was the Bosch. Actually, was the first case, and I think it was back in it was like 2015, I think. So. That Bosch case was one of the biggest transfer pricing cases we had in Italy. And after a follow with the Philip Morris and how the recent Netflix um, case. So, but the biggest, so they, they recognize a PE in Italy for Bosch and then uh, recalculated their transfer pricing through the years. And that was one of the biggest audits that the Italian tax authority did in history. 
Wow. And in May 2018, the uh, Italian Ministry of Economy and Finance issued a decree with guidelines that abolished the hierarchy, as, as you were mentioning before, and put method preferences more in line with OECD transfer pricing guidelines for 2017. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, that was the official um, decision of the government, uh, but in general, the Italian tax authorities and uh, also, you know, all the multinational company and us as a professional, we all they always advise and follow um, you know, the OECD uh, guidelines. But then, uh, with the official, you know, reference to the uh, newly released uh, 2017 OECD pricing guidelines, uh, there is nothing, nothing more to say. There's no method preference anymore. Right, right, right. And it's time for our second CPE code word, and that word is history, as in Italy is rich in history. Do you have to stick to uh, cup, resale price, cost plus, traditional net margin method, and profit split method? So if you have a method, do you have to stick to it? No, but you need to be able to demonstrate why are, are you changing it. So... If you're using a cup method, that which is a very, it's a very strong method. It's one of the, actually one of my favorite methods because I think that it's the only one that really um, can show you, you know, the, the what's the arm's length price, especially, you know, the internal cup, because you are, you're saying that you, the transaction that you're doing, for example, you're selling a product, you're selling a product to third party, you're selling the same product in the company, and the price that you're applying is the same. So that is a true application of you know, an arm's length price because it's the same price that you're applying to third party, you are also applying it in the company. It's very hard to apply as a method because you have a lot of condition such as you know, the product needs to be the same, you know, the function performance and the risk um, assumed and the asset use needs to be the same. And also the volume of the transaction needs to be pretty similar. So it's very hard. And I've seen a lot of uh, companies, you know, they were not able to sustain a cap during the year. So they need to switch to a different method like uh, the transactional net margin method. In that case, um, my, my suggestion is to include into the documentation why you are um, moving from a method to another, because in case of audit, that would be the first question they're gonna ask. Mm. And, and these changes overall, does that represent uh, Italy now embracing the arm's length principle? Yeah, the arm's length principle is embraced in the Italian regulation as for the reference in the Italian regulations um, have um, to the OECD guidelines and as we call it the valore normale, which means normal value, which is uh, just the arm's length um, principle. So we are in Italy, uh, Italy is aligned with the OECD. Mm -hmm. And a simplified approach was also introduced in 2018. Can you tell us about that? So that's for the low value added services. It's a very good approach introduced in, in 2018 because, uh, you know, it helps a lot of taxpayers when they provide this low value add, uh, added services. They can just say that um, uh, avoid to do a benchmark and uh, if they apply a markup that consists of, like, you know, 5% um, on cost, um, I mean, you, you're good to go. You don't need to do an analysis. You, you can spare so much time in you are considered like the, the markup that you're applying is considered arm's length. I can say that I've seen uh, the same approach used in Italy. I'm not seeing challenging 
So because of the reference to the uh, OECD guidelines and to everything that is related to the OECD, so I feel that Italy will um, accept this approach. A global pandemic, a grim economic forecast, feeling the squeeze, an R&D tax credit can help lower your burn. If you qualify, the IRS and some state governments will give you a tax credit equal to 10% of your company's spend on development activities. You can even take the credit against payroll taxes if you're in the red. All you have to do is claim it. So what's stopping you? If an expensive application process is turning you off, sorry, now you really have no excuse. Cross-Border Solutions AI-driven R&D tax credit software eliminates the need for pricey consultants and allows you to apply for R&D credits all over the world for one low fee. After all, why should you have to spend your whole R&D tax credit on getting your R&D tax credit? It's your money, keep more of it with Cross Border Solutions, the global leader in AI-driven tax solutions. Request a demo today, visit xbs.ai/rd. That's xbs.ai/rd. And Fiona, just to interrupt very quickly to ask her, Fiona, what about comparables? Do M&Es have to adhere to local benchmarking? Officially, there are no preferences for domestic versus foreign benchmarks. But it could still be advantageous to use local benchmarks, as the Italian tax auditors like to see comparables based on economic conditions. Uh, Valeria, do you want to elaborate on that? Yeah, so in general, I was saying before, there's no preferences for domestic versus foreign, but we have seen that it's very advantageous having a local benchmark, local comparable, especially if you're testing like an Italian distributor and then you have a set supporting your result um, that has a Italian comps in it or it's like it's a fully, like a complete Italian set, like all the comparables are from Italy, or you have a good part of Italian comms, which will really help. This will really help during at home. Right, right. And and what is the Italian patent box regime? That's a regime introduced in 2015 uh, as an optional regime for the IP. The idea is, uh, you know, if you you have to disclosure um, some information in order to get an exclusion from your tax base, which is up to 50 percent for the you know from the exploitation of intangible. Um, to qualify, you must assume you know R&D cost uh, in Italy. And that the development or maintenance of the IP, um, of the IP, which can be from considered IP, you know, copyright, uh, patents, design models, uh, processes, or even you know, formula or some experience required in some specific uh, um, scientific uh, file. Mm. And what are some special provisions for small and medium-sized companies there? For a small and medium-sized company, there is a simplified approach the Italian regulation allowed. This uh, gives you the chance uh, not to update the comparability analysis and only um, like every year and only update it every two years. So it's a very good deal, especially for a small and medium-sized company, which are the ones that usually the revenue don't exceed um, 50 million or, I'm sorry, the turnover and uh, the uh, they have less than 50 or 500 employees. It depends if you are considering a small or medium-sized company. And it's very good because you perform the 
your functionalities and then you do your benchmark and then you can use it for the following two years if nothing has changed. If you don't have any change in functionality, the only thing you need to demonstrate is that you're still performing the same function, the transaction hasn't changed. So you are going to use the result, your benchmarking result from the, the year one, and you're going to use it to the year two and the year three. And our last CPE code word for this episode, just to interrupt very quickly, that last CPE code word is beautiful, as in Italy is incredibly beautiful this time of year. Um, let's talk about permanent establishments in Italy. The definition has recently been expanded in the country, correct? Yeah, and now includes uh, digital PE. So it's uh, they, they are trying, you know, to... Uh, as the world is uh, continues uh, changing and uh, companies and the approach is, you know, it's is changing. Before, we didn't have so many tech companies, so they didn't need to. Now they are thinking, you know, all these digital company like, um, companies like Netflix, you know? So like thinking if it's a cable can be considered a physical presence or a software so they had to expand the um, they they had to expand the um the definition in order to include those um you know those, those company into the definition of fpe because they they had a lot of challenges especially in court as the definition of PE did not include digital um, so they they had to expand it in order to bring um, all this um taxpayer in uh, the definition of the P. And, and uh, this is just for my own curiosity, but but covering these stories, especially uh, uh, for our news podcast. But is this in effect like some like kind of a way to do two birds with one stone and have their own separate digital services tax just via at least permanent establishments? Yeah. I mean, the, the idea is that, you know. Yeah, like they can do their own digital service tax on top of it, but this kind of keeps the ground covered, kills two birds with one stone. That that yeah, more or less yeah, what it's, it's, like. it's everything is related, you know. Right, and, and especially if the basic rule is, you know, or if they're expanding it to the point where if you have a cable or you know take an email or that that very uh, almost subjective, you know, significance and continued continuous economic presence in Italy structured, yeah, um, as to avoid a vis physical presence. Yeah, they've tried a lot because that this PE issue was very, very, you know, very big in Italy. So as I was saying mm -hmm. in the beginning, so one of the biggest transfer pricing um, case was driving by a PE that was Bosch. And then again, you have Philip Morris, right. and then now Netflix is ongoing. So they had to do something. And um, we feel that the Italian tax authorities is very, very interested in um, PE. So... We will see. We will see also other changes. Italy is concerned about permanent establishments. In fact, last year, prosecutors launched an investigation against Netflix, as you mentioned, saying that the company should pay taxes in Italy because of the digital infrastructure it uses to stream content to 1.4 million users in the country. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, um, the, it's very interesting because, you know, the tax authority uh, actually arguing that cables and computer server made a physical presence in Italy. So 
I'm very curious to see that, you know, how this is going to end. And uh, we will see them going to court for sure. And, or maybe, you know, they will settle this um, with Italian tax authorities. But I'm very curious to see how this is going to end because it will create, you know, kind of precedent. Right. And as we were uh, saying before, aside from the uh, controversy over PE and how Italy handles it, there's also a separate digital services tax. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. So you see that Italy now is very interested about digital. So they have expanded, you know, the definition of PE. They also have this new digital service tax, which is um, started on January 2020. Um, and it's a 3%, uh, it's like a 3% tax on e-commerce. Um, and I think it's a uh, due to the fact that we have all these businesses like Google, Amazon, Instagram, Facebook, and uh, they pay billion in taxes, but this can represent a very, um, you know, a very big piece of the cake for Italy. We will see also with the coronavirus and everything, they are trying to push uh, all of these new taxes and everything a little bit um, away, give companies um, a bit of release. So as now it's starting from January, 2020, but, um, um, I don't know if it's going to be in place for uh, this year or it's, it's, it's there forever or they're going to change it or lower it. For now, it's still in place and it's 3% on e-commerce. Right. And just to interrupt, to ask Fiona very quickly, Fiona, Italy, of course, was one of the first countries to be overwhelmed by the coronavirus. What tax relief is the country offering? Italy has extended tax deadlines for residents and entities. All tax payments due in the period between February 23rd and April 30th have been extended to April 30th. The country will also grant a tax credit to companies that suffer a 25% fall in revenues. Deadlines for reporting obligations imposed by auditors will be extended to February 15, 2021. And Valeria, before we wrap up today, I, I want to ask a bit of a sensitive question because there's one uh, Italian tax authority enforcement practice that is, shall we say, rather rare across the world. And there's very little delicate way to put this, but um, their reputation precedes them in that they that Italian tax authorities often show up to documentation gatherings and and other operations of that sort and in audit processes uh, armed with guns. Really no other more polite way to put that. Um, can you tell us a bit about this practice in the larger context of Italian governmental authority? Right, I can say anything. It's like a, this is the tax police, so it's normal that they wear, they have guns. They, have, they are the police. But they don't use it against when they do tax audit for transfer pricing. Also, the transfer pricing is no longer it's no longer considered criminal law. Before you go to jail, so you like uh, we have seen people going to jail for transfer yeah. pricing issues. Now it's no longer like that. So, so what's the relationship with the Italian tax authority? Are, are these tax police in the authority the same government entity or? No, the tax police, it's a completely different organ and it's not even part of the Italian police. So it's just the tax police. Have a, you know, it's, it's a separate, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a separate thing. Uh, the Italian tax authority, the Agenzia dell'Entrata, it's, uh, it's, it's like the IRS. So just to understand uh, where the jurisdiction lies for this completely separate 
agency that's not quite the Italian tax authority specifically, but the tax police. How do these tax police get involved in transfer pricing? So the tax police can investigate on anything that's related to, you know, tax issue. It's a, it's a completely different approach. So they, uh, during an investigation, uh, they can raise a transfer pricing issue. But that is the, it's only the, you know, the first part of the audit. Um, but after the tax police, you know, issue and they, you know, uh, release a report and they do, they do like this report with all their findings, um, the taxpayer have two options. One option is dealing with this report directly with the tax police and finding a solution. It's, it's, a, it's a good option if they can find a solution because the penalties are very, very low in this case uh, if, if they don't have the information. Um, or they can decide that, that to proceed and this report will go to the Italian tax authority. That's one case. One other case is that, you know, that the Italian tax authority has, um, you know, they, they can do investigation on their own audit. So an audit can be started from the Italian tax authority or from the tax police. So the tax police can start an audit as well as the Italian tax authority. When the tax police start an audit, they release a report, and then this report goes to the, which is called PBC, uh, and it goes to the Italian tax authority. And then the Italian tax authority will deal with it. There are two, two kinds of audit. At the end of the day, the procedure is quite the same, but it can, the audit can be initiated by the Italian tax authority or by the tax so the authority is effectively the same between the two agencies? Yes, yes, it's completely the same. I will say it is more tough for the uh, taxpayer when the tax police entered the office because, as you were saying, uh, they, have, they, can have, they, they are the police, so they have guns, so the impact um, is the external. You see there the police and uh, all the, their car outside and they have guns and everything. Sometimes also it's can be emotional, and it's an emotional thing um, because it's very, uh, you know, visual. So if you look at the, your company, you have like a 10, 10 police car all around, and uh, all your office has this uh, mark all around that you cannot open any cabinet or anything, and you have police going around for months. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't want to mention any names. Uh, our, our one of the clients at our prior client summits it mentioned that it's so extravagant. It there has to be some level of theater to it in in how it's all put together in terms of the these actual sting operations. Yeah, I think it's mostly because before transfer pricing was part, you know, um, so you you have penalty part of the criminal law. So they were treating the taxpayer as criminal, which is not um, is not like that anymore. So um, transfer pricing issues um, and violation are no no longer part of the criminal law. So now it's just uh, you you have to pay um, you have to pay some penalties, you know some penalties that it's not uh, you don't go to jail for transfer pricing anymore immediately but in the past yes so maybe it's due to that 
Note to multinational companies everywhere, if you think the coronavirus has affected your bottom line, take a look at how it's devastated the economies of governments around the world. And where do you think tax authorities will look to make up for all that lost revenue? That's right, your transfer pricing. You can't afford to be non-compliant, but then you probably can't afford to pay for an overpriced consultant who bills by the hour either. Oops, sorry, big four. We've got the answer. Cross-border solutions, AI-powered transfer pricing software keeps you in compliance by preparing accurate, hyper-localized reports that protect you from transfer pricing audits, penalties, and adjustments. And our technology is available for one flat fee, a fraction of what you'd pay a big-name consultant. Again, apologies, Big Four. Stay in compliance and on budget with Cross-Border Solutions AI-driven transfer pricing software. It's no wonder we're the global leader in AI-driven tax solutions. There we go again. I'm so sorry, Big. You know what? Wait, who am I kidding? Sign up for a free demo of Cross-Border Solutions transfer pricing technology today at xbs.ai slash tp that's xbs.ai slash tp and uh, i think that just about wraps up our discussion but we do have time for my favorite part of the show what we want to know here's how it works we put a transfer pricing rock star in the hot seat valeria today that's you and we ask a rapid fire round of questions no thinking just answers valeria are you ready yep what is your favorite thing about your job today? Um, I love the fact that it's in continuous movement. So transfer pricing is never static. Um, I love the fact that every day we have something, you know, some news somewhere in the world and uh, we can help our clients, um, you know, dealing with all of this. Right, right, right. And uh, just across border alone, there's there's never a dull moment or uh, or too long where you're doing the same thing over and over again. Usually your entire uh, agenda is going to be upended at some point. But what is your favorite quarantine pastime? Baking. That's my pastime. So when I, I'm not working and uh, I'm trying to bake something for my family. Oh, that's fun. Do you watch the, the Great British Baking Show? Uh, no. Oh, you should, it, I can't recommend it more highly unless you've given it a shot and it's and it's it's just such basic baking for you that you're too cool for school. What would you say is an unexpected positive of the COVID-19 quarantine for you? I feel that the fact of everyone being home and for the first time, um, everyone is experiencing the same. So, you know, it, this is all over the world and our clients are, are all over the world. We are all experiencing the same. We are all working from home. We are all in the same situation. So I feel that people now are more, are more close. So, you know, that's a prep talk at the beginning that was mostly like, oh, how are you doing? Now you really, I mean, I always care about it, but now it's like a, you need to hear from the others that they're good, right. you know, that they're doing good. Right. Um, and it's a, you know, it's a form of sharing that we all need to consider we are all home. Yeah, I, I think that's a that's a a major plus or has been at least a, a, a major silver lining for me in, in the last few months. Um, but how do you handle your most stressful moments? I think we traditionally call these your shit hit the fan moments. So I can use the little sensor bleep, but go ahead. Um, it depends. <laughs> 
baking <laughs> they were one in the same answer for for your favorite quarantine pastime and you know that lines up that that makes a lot of sense this is uh this is consistent uh what what do you know now that you wish you knew when you first started your career i wish i knew everything that i i know right now about you know all the countries and all the students i've been through the years because that was a really a challenge you know um gaining all this experience and uh being now i'm very comfortable you know talking to clients and helping them with any kind of issue they have it's a it's a us-based company that has a sub in europe and i'm able to dealing with the us and the oecd but when you start um it's a new world everything is new and uh, i was in italy so you know it was very the regulation were very strict and pretty new, so I wish I had all my knowledge already. But uh, you know, you you need to get that. You need, you need to study. You need to have experience. So it's fine. Yeah, it takes I mean, time. Like, no matter what. Yeah, it takes time. No matter what. Yes. Right, right, right. I think, I think, and I think a lot of folks who start out early in TP are kind of resigned to that from the beginning. Uh, but kind of, but uh, I, I know in a lot of responses to that answer, it's usually we, you know, before, some point before BEPS, we had no idea, you know, countries would differentiate in this way. And now that that's kind of the law of the land or the, the way of things for now, um, you know, it with so little predictability you can you can bring to any other part of the industry. That's actually something you can rely on, that things are only going to get more complicated from here. Well, who knew talking transfer pricing could be so much fun? Except for me, of course. Valeria, thank you so much again for being here and for sharing all that Italian expertise. Next time, bring some Italian wine or cheese, too, if you wouldn't mind. Don't let this be the last you hear about modern-day transfer pricing. I mean, we talk about this stuff every week. Subscribe to the Fiona Show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and we'll catch you up on the latest issues, debates, and changing regulations. And don't miss our sister podcast, The Fiona Show, hot off the press, which gives you the scoop on transfer pricing headlines every week. I'm Matthew DeMello. I host, edit, and engineer this podcast. Executive producer Marilyn Mitchumstrom writes our scripts, and we'll be back next week with another riveting transfer pricing discussion. Count on it. Count on it.